Welcome to episode 625 of the Entertainment 2.0 podcast brought to you by the DigitalMediaZone.com. I'm Josh Pollard. And I'm Richard Gunther, and this is the show that puts you in control of your favorite movies, music, shows, and games. Well, we're back. Summer sucks. Sorry. <laughs> Scheduling has been a nightmare, but we're getting them in when we can. So yep. let's jump right into some feedback because we've got a couple of great pieces of feedback. The first one is from Jose. Oh, I guess I should say these were emailed to us. Entertainment20 at the digitalmediazone.com is the email address. So the first one is from Jose. Jose's been emailing us for years. Love Jose. He says, Congrats on 624 episodes. This is more of a rant than an actual question, but can someone please explain to me why people seem to be so obsessed with having their eyes seared by the brightness of their screen? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not quite that much. He says, over the past year, I've been in the market for a few different devices that happen to be focused around a display, a TV, a laptop, and most recently, a monitor. In all three of these cases, My options naturally included OLED, which I am certainly partial to. As I researched my options, any option that has an OLED display was dinged for not being bright enough. And he put that in quotes because it didn't have a billion nits of brightness (laughs) compared to LCD. Last year, I upgraded my laptop to an Asus ZenBook OLED 13, which pretty much all reviews criticized. For its dim display. But I've not been in any situation where I said to myself, this just isn't bright enough. Most recently, I was in the market for a new gaming display and was interested in OLED. And no matter what OLED display I was looking into, they were all knocked for not being bright enough. I ended up with the Corsair Xenon 27-inch OLED, which seemed to be a bit dimmer than the rest, despite all of them using the same LG panel, but it had the I.O. that I needed. I was worried that it would actually be too dim based on the reviews, but it's perfectly fine. What in the world are people doing with their devices that they need a supernova level of brightness emanating from their display? Am I missing something here? Am I in the minority? Is there a new trend of wearing sunglasses while watching TV and therefore requires a much brighter display? Thanks for letting me ramble. Always great listening to you guys. Take care. Jose, these are great questions. And I I know you're you're mostly rambling, but there are some actual answers to this. Uh, Where do I even start? So one, I I think the, the, the two things... Uh, that I that I would jump at is the one being the most important one is brightness matters for HDR. So that matters for your TV. It matters for your gaming monitor potentially. Hopefully, maybe. I don't know that it really matters much for your phone, and maybe not for your laptop. Although with laptop brightness, the reason that the brightness is is regularly mentioned in laptop reviews is in case you're going to use it outside. Yep. The same reason for phone screen brightness. Yep. You're not going to take your computer monitor outside, but you might take your laptop outside. I I like to work outside as much as possible. So that's that's where that can come in. I also think the more negative side of this is just every Best Buy that you walk into, they crank the brightness on every TV because they think it makes it look better. And in that environment, it does look better when they crank the brightness, but it doesn't in your house. But everybody gets used to seeing them like that, which means they think that that's how it's supposed to look. You, yeah. you have any additional thoughts on this, Richard? Yeah, I, I think, you know, you mentioned brightness matters for HDR. Well, I mean, HDR almost exists to be able to show the far extremes of dark and bright right. in uh, contrast to each other on the same monitor in a way that is supposedly more like what our eyes actually see. And I have definitely watched scenes where the sun coming in through a window from outside of a perfectly lit interior scene is searing, is just crazy, insane bright. And 
I do ask myself sometimes, just like people complain about audio being so mumbly these days, what are the directors thinking? Like, why are they actually making it uncomfortable to watch a scene? What's the point there? Particularly when you contrast it to the types of scenes that I was complaining about a year or two ago in Game of Thrones, where things were so dark that you couldn't see anything. So I I think a lot of it comes down to preference and whether you really care about the experience that the you know the the director of or the producer of whatever media you're watching intended with things that are portable like laptops and and phones as Josh said it's more about being able to use it outside there are many times even at the greatest brightness that i have available that my ipad is just not bright enough to use in direct sunlight outside right right there's one other reason that I want to throw out there that that guys like Jose and you and I might be thinking this is getting a little a little overboard here like does it really need to be this bright and Jose I say this in love we're a lot older than some of the <laughs> uh, than than some other people this who are buying these devices and what that means is not that there's anything wrong with our eyes or anything like that just that we grew up using displays that sucked and weren't yep. bright at all. Yep. So these are all just way brighter than what we grew up with. Like when you say my new Asus laptop is perfectly fine. Yeah. Because it's a lot better than the garbage we grew up with in the nineties and early two thousands. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, we have additional feedback and this came back directly to me through a Slack community I participate in. But this was feedback from a recent episode where we were talking about Plex and Plex music. And this is from Robert. He says that there are there are alternatives to Plex music. I think Josh mentioned it was the only option for people with local music collections. I've researched this a while ago for one of my clients, and I don't have any direct or hands-on experience. So your mild your mileage may vary, but just passing along the information. There is the Stratospherics app. I'm not even going to spell that. Stratospherics with an X at the end. There will be links in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he even included links. Robert's very thorough, which looks like a low-cost one-time fee, but it only works locally on the homeland. The premium solution, especially for audiophile types with lossless music collections is the rune ecosystem i will spell that that's r-o-o-n he says it's very extensive and includes options for streaming outside your home you have to run a server app on a computer similar to plex but rune's claim to fame is an extensive music metadata and organizational capability i think it's subscription based he says it overlaps with Sonos and luxury music distribution hardware and software, but typically it's used to manage a local music collection in combination with other hardware systems to handle the physical distribution streaming. But it looks like it could be used by itself for more typical consumer or home use. These are great suggestions. I'm not familiar with either of these. Are you, Josh? No, I don't I don't think I had ever heard of either of these. So he he rightfully calls me out as incorrectly saying <laughs> that that Plex music was the only solution. Um may, maybe I'll try to give myself a pass as saying the only popular solution. Is is that fair? <laughs> yeah, that that might be fair. I mean, these are not as well known. The other thing that I think is worth mentioning is that Sonos does still allow you to connect to a local music system. You have to use the Sonos app somewhere to set it up, if I remember correctly, like Sonos app on your on your desktop. Now, they don't support that anymore. So if you're doing this, you're doing this basically just knowing that it may stop working someday. But if you have Sonos speakers and you don't want to use Plex or one of these systems, Sonos itself will allow you to connect to a music library. Oh, I had kind of forgotten about that one also. 
Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, great feedback. Thank you, everybody, for writing in. All the rest of our contact information is available in the show notes over at www.thedigitalmediazone.com. And we'll give you some of it again at the end of the show. All right. So let's jump into the news. And we're going to start with more bad news about prices. (laughs) And this one gets fairly complicated. So this might be one that you want to just like, if you really care about all the details, you might just want to go click the link because there's even a table of information here. That's, that's how complicated this gets because it's Disney and Disney owns a lot. Disney plus Hulu and like all of the incarnations of Hulu uh, are all going up. The bundle prices are going up. Okay. So Disney Plus, without ads, it's going from $10.99 to $13.99 a month. Hulu, without ads, goes from $14.99 a month. I had forgotten that Hulu was $15 a month, (laughs) yikes, to $17.99 a month. The ad-supported options for both of those services stay at $7.99 a month. If you want both of those, there's a new plan that they're introducing that is just it just Disney Plus and Hulu without ads for either of them for nineteen ninety nine a month. So That's like for people like me, yeah, for I don't people care who about don't the care sports about, ball, right? If you don't care about ESPN, but you've been doing like the Disney Plus bundle because it was a great deal, here you go. <laughs> and like this is actually a really nice. Oh man, is it though, or like does it just feel like it because of how much prices have gone up? But exactly, nineteen ninety nine a month for two services that individually would be thirteen and seventeen ninety nine respectively. That's a nice discount. So that that's an option for you. That new offering uh, becomes available September sixth. Because Disney and Hulu are both increasing in price, that means that the Disney uh, Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus bundle is also increasing. That's going up to twenty four ninety nine a month. All of those things start October twelfth. The price increases start October twelfth. But that's not where it ends because there's lots of other versions of Hulu too. Because there's Hulu with live TV. This is your like cable alternative option, and Hulu with live TV. Again, there's two versions of this. One that includes the regular Hulu streaming service with ads, and one that includes the Hulu streaming service without ads. The one with ads is now $76.99 a month. And if you want full Hulu without ads, it's $89.99 a month. $90 a month for Hulu with live TV plus the regular Hulu streaming. Wow. Like this all feels like massive jumps in pricing, even though individually it's not actually that much. But man, you start looking at $25 a month for the bundle and maybe, maybe it's still worth it, but that makes it, I was going to say it makes it the most expensive streaming service, but it's not really because it's three services bundled together, but oof, feels like a lot. Yeah. I mean, if you look at this Disney plus price, that's well first of all it i kind of think of it as having just gone up to 999 right it was 699 then it went up to 999 but they had the ad version for 699 so you felt like you were getting a bargain right um if you if you st- stayed or switched to the ad version so now it's going from 999 to 1399 i'm using the 99s very intentionally and I usually don't because I like to gloss over it they're using the 99s to gloss over the fact that that's a 40% increase in price 40 40% <laughs> okay so it isn't just me it doesn't just feel like it's, a large increase it actually it is a large increase it doesn't just feel like it no <laughs> no so uh. I'll tell you, I hope my stock gets a nice bump from this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jeez. And, you know, I, I've regularly been talking about services that I should cancel for the time being and stuff. I have absolutely no reason 
to be a, a Disney Plus bundle subscriber at all right now. Mm. Like we are barely watching Disney Plus right now. We, we've never really used Hulu, and I only really use ESPN Plus for hockey, which won't return until October. So, e maybe this is the service that I drop soon. What I didn't see in the article that we're going to link to though is if if this changes for any of the legacy customers because the last time they changed right no it did eventually increase for everybody i was gonna say it didn't immediately increase for legacy subscribers but then i think it eventually did so this is probably just going to impact everybody and whatever my monthly bill is probably going to go up to 25 bucks a month Blech. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I, I mean, it will. I, I keep on thinking at some point we're going to reach the point where the businesses that have gotten into streaming and realize that it's a money losing endeavor will finally hit the point where it makes sense as a business. But who am I kidding? They're always going to increase the price. For sure. So, yeah. Yeah. So just cancel them all and get YouTube premium. I think that's the answer. What? No. (laughs) Well, nothing gets watched at my house more than YouTube premium. And, or not, not YouTube premium, just YouTube. We don't have premium, but maybe. But this new feature that we're going to talk about is not going to be enough to get me to switch. So, A new benefit that's been added to YouTube Premium recently, although this actually started in April, is an enhanced 1080p streaming option. In April, it was released on iOS, and now it's available on desktop web browsers and on TV devices. So when I say TV devices, that's your your smart TVs, your uh, gaming consoles, your streaming box, you know, your Roku and, and those sorts of things. What exactly is 1080p premium? Well, it's supposed to be a higher, it's definitely a higher bit rate and it's supposed to look sharper for especially very fine detailed content. I would love to know <laughs> from Someone who actually cares, and from someone who is actually a YouTube Premium subscriber, can you tell enough of a difference between regular 1080p and 1080p Premium? And I was going to ask the question, can you tell enough of a difference to justify the cost? But there's no one in the world who is paying, who's going to be paying for YouTube Premium just Just to get this this 1080p version. Right. You're you're paying for YouTube Premium to remove the ads. That's the main reason you get YouTube Premium. But this all just feels kind of dumb. Like I I don't understand why this is even a, a thing. Yeah, I I mean it seems like at some point the tech guys said, you know, there's no reason why we couldn't just offer full 1080p on this, and the business guys said, oh wait, we could make that a limited feature for people who are paying. Right. Yeah. And and it is different. Like it is using a different video codec and uh, people have watched, you know, network analysis to compare a 1080 versus a 1080 premium stream. And like it is using more data, but what if you what if these like how, how many of these videos are only available in 1080p versus Oh, you could just watch it in 4K. Sounds great. Like I would rather watch it in 4K than 1080p premium. So it's an option now. If you're a YouTube premium subscriber, check it out. Let us know. Do you care? Do you notice the difference? And can you actually get your playback device of choice to default to that top option? I I don't know. I doubt it. Would love to know. So again, YouTube premium. The main thing is it removes the ads and it does cost you $13.99 a month for a single person subscription to get access to this. We're going to stick with YouTube for our next story. And this is about multi-view. This is a feature that was added to YouTube TV back in March for the NCAA basketball tournament, March Madness. 
and it allowed you to watch four college basketball games at the same time. They slowly have added more content that is available to be viewed through multi-view because you don't get to actually control this all that directly. It's not like you can pick a basketball game and a football game and a news broadcast and a sitcom. Like it it's it's very locked down, but and or maybe I should say curated in terms of what you can watch. Well, they're expanding this and they're ac- they're not just expanding the content this time, but also where you can view this because they're adding support for WNBA games, the the Women's Professional Basketball League in in the United States. But through YouTube, you don't have to be a YouTube TV subscriber. You do have to subscribe to uh, WNBA Primetime, but then you can just go to that YouTube channel and they will give you, again, a curated list of games that you can watch. But I don't even know how many teams are in the WNBA, like how many games could be going on at any given time. I don't know. I don't know their schedule all that well, but you can watch four games of their choice. It'll give you the audio for the game that's in the top left-hand corner. You move the cursor around to different games, and that's the one that gives you uh, that the audio plays from. Sounds great, and it doesn't really cost you any extra. You just have to have that WNBA primetime channel subscription. So that's cool. It works on TV devices. Again, like, like we said at the last one, that's Basically, anything you can, you can connect to a TV. It does not work on mobile, which kind of makes sense. Like, I know phone screens are big, but four basketball games at once on a phone screen seems ludicrous. Uh, it also doesn't work on the web. So it's pretty much just on your giant TV. I had heard that YouTube TV was going to be expanding multi-view to news and other content like that. I don't think that's out yet though. I was looking for it on my account and I certainly couldn't activate it. I thought some of the content was expanded, but maybe it's maybe right now it's still just different sports. Or maybe that feature for the other content, maybe that's limited to their premium subscription where you add 4K and stuff like that which I don't have. So that's something I I might want to look into. I don't remember that being the thing, but it's definitely possible. Yeah. Because remember we talked about wanting to do this for like election night. Yeah. And sure enough, when I was watching the different news stations this week, talk about the, um, the voting in Ohio, I was jumping between different stations trying to find out, you know, who had news and it would have been nice to be able to, do a multi-view thing for that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. Well, one more video story, and that's about a new curation app because we need yet another way of curating all of our content, right? Well, this one might be getting it right, might be doing it better than other services that are out there right now. I don't have a verdict on this. I have tried it. This is called Unify. It is not spelled the way you would expect it. It's spelled Y-O-U, get it, U-N-I-F-I. So this is an app for iOS and Android right now. And it aggregates the information in your various streaming services. Works with Netflix, Hulu, Prime, Disney+, Plus, Max, Peacock, Paramount Plus TV, uh, Apple TV Plus, Discovery Plus, and Showtime. Well, Showtime's now part of Paramount. So all of those services allow you to log in through third parties, to authenticate through these third parties. This does that and pulls the information in for what you've watched and what you want to watch, what's on your lists on those services from the services. And then aggregates that together as a curated experience for you to pick from. So instead of having to train this thing and tell it, oh, I like this versus that, or I want to watch these things, in addition to having play, you know, uh, 
play reminder lists or whatever they're called on all of your various different services. This is looking at what you already saved in those services. And it knows what you watched and it's free. It's a free app. Now, this is coming from Media Mall. That might sound familiar. That's the company that makes PlayOn and PlayOn Cloud. And this app looks suspiciously like PlayOn Cloud without the DVR part. Because if you recall, on the PlayOn Cloud app, they added the ability to use PlayOn Cloud to navigate through different services and find the content on those services, not necessarily always record it, but just play it if you want to. And when it plays it, it just jumps you to the app, deep links you into the title, and then you watch it in that app. So this works on a tablet. It works on a phone. Unify works the same way. It jumps you into the app. Now, can you put it on your TV? Not yet. They don't yet have a way of just having it cast to your television, but they are working on that. Of course, if the apps themselves have casting capabilities or airplay capabilities, then you'd be able to use that to get the content on your TV. They don't yet have TV or streaming device apps, but they're also planning on adding those. So this may end up being... For some people, depending on how you curate the stuff you want to watch, a better way of keeping track of the things you want to see and then having one central place to pick them from. This idea sounds awesome. It yeah. sounds so good. Like especially if it if it can cast, that's even better. But I don't even think it's necessarily a requirement. Like most people when they're sitting down to watch TV at night. They probably have their phone with them. I know not everybody does, but most people probably do. But they don't necessarily know what they want to watch. And so even if you can't really cast it and all that stuff from the phone, that that might not matter that much. At least I can open up this app and say, oh yeah, I wanted to check out Tehran and go to YouTube or go to Apple TV on my TV or whatever device that I'm watching on and f- and find it from the watch list that's already in that app. Like it's not going to be hard yep. to find. And even if it was like, at least, you know, the thing that you're looking for, like, I think that's the, the genius thing here. Like we hear about all of these shows that we want to watch and maybe we uh, add them to our watch list within the, the various services, but to, to not have to open up every single app to find well, all right, I, I just finished watching Jack Ryan season three. What do I want to watch next? Yep. And maybe it's not something that's in Amazon Prime, but you're not sure. So here you go. Open up Unify, and now you can see all of your watch list in one place. Yeah, it it's pretty slick. So it's your watch list. It's continue watching. It also has recommendations based on you know, similarities to movies that are in your continue watching or your watch list. And it has some popular stuff and other categories like that. So it's doing what a lot of the other curation sites do. Now, one thing that I will say, love the folks over at Media Mall. They have really cool applications that I still don't understand how they're legal. But one of the things that I think is just a little bit lacking is just a a polish to their interface design. So the experience is nice. It's good. It's not beautiful. It's, it's not the slick experience that you see on your Google TV or on your Apple TV or something like that. It's very functional. And as a utility, I think they've nailed the capability on this. Now I hope they spend a little bit of time just making a little bit more polished. Yeah. It's similar to what Plex has, except that Plex doesn't automatically connect to those things. And I I think that's the main difference because like I can open the Plex app on my phone, Mm -hmm. search for anything and add it to one single unified watch list. So if all you care about is the watch list functionality, then maybe the Plex app is actually better because then it'll just tell you where you can watch it. 
But right. it doesn't actually tie into the services that you already have, the watch list that you've already made there. It doesn't also give you recommendations on other things to watch similar to that. So like there's definitely some things are better in Plex, some things are better in this Unify app. But yeah, this Unify app sounds really interesting. I'm definitely going to have to set this up. Yeah, it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know, you know, I don't know if it's something that I'll stick with, but you know, normally I go to just watch to see if something that I'm interested in watching is available or not. This has all the services that I use, so this is already kind of a filter on what would be available to me based on what I'm already paying for. Yeah. Yeah. So, I like it. Very cool. Nice find. All right. Audio news. This is a little bit of a different one, but obviously we like podcasts around here. We're, you're listening to a podcast that we make. So we like them. We don't just make them. I listen to bunches of podcasts. And a lot of you have started subscribing to podcasts on Patreon to help financially support those creators. It's a great thing. But the the biggest problem I think with Patreon is that you the, the main experience means now you've got to go to Patreon to get those podcasts instead of getting them in the podcast app that you listen to all of the rest of your podcast in. And Spotify is solving this problem if you're already using Spotify for other podcasts that you listen to by partnering with Patreon. So you open up the Spotify app, you sync your Spotify account to your Patreon account, and in Spotify, you will be able to see the subscriber-only you know, locked episodes in Spotify. But if you subscribe, then you can listen to those versions right there in Spotify. Like, I can't wait for Jen to get home for me to tell her about this because her favorite podcast she subscribes to, and there's all sorts of like bonus episodes throughout the week. And so she's always listening through actually a lot of times for their main show. She still listens in Spotify and deals with all of the ads and is only using the Patreon app for the bonus content that's not in Spotify. Yeah, that's me. That that's me for nearly everything I support on Patreon. I just can't be bothered getting the Patreon episodes. Yeah. Now, you don't use Spotify as your no. podcast player, so this doesn't actually help you much, but it might sway some people to at least give Spotify another chance for for their podcast uh consumption. And if you're worried that, well, it if I do this like Spotify must be getting a cut of the money that I'm trying to send to my independent podcasters, right? No, they're not actually. Spotify doesn't get any extra money out of this. Uh, you're not paying any extra money for this functionality. And it doesn't cost the, the content producer any money to get their stuff on Spotify. So it's kind of win-win for everybody here. And I guess Spotify's angle is maybe get some more people on Spotify. Exactly. Yeah. I, I like this a lot. I, I think it's awesome. So check it out. Let us know what you think. And I'm going to have Jen check it out and she can give me her review. All right. One quick gaming story for this week. And that is just if uh, because gaming news in the summer, there isn't typically much. Uh, but one interesting thing that happened recently, and that is that Microsoft has officially started selling their own replacement parts for controllers. So if you've got a controller that you love, but one of the buttons is broken or something like that, or you're, you threw it against the wall in a fit of rage and broke the case, well, now you can buy replacement parts directly from Microsoft so you know that they're not like chintzy knockoffs or anything like that. It's the actual parts that Microsoft puts into the ones that, you know, the controllers that you would buy fully assembled. It includes detailed repair manuals, all of that stuff. You can buy the outer shells of the controllers. You can buy the buttons. You can even buy the motherboards with and without attached rumble motors. And the prices are 
I think, fairly reasonable for what you're getting here. The replacement shells are about 20 bucks. The buttons start at about $22. For a complete set, it's not like $22 for the B button. It's a complete set of buttons. And the motherboards, depending on the type of controller, start at about $34. And this works for both the standard Xbox Series controllers and the Elite Series 2 controller. And that controller alone starts at like $140 bucks is the MSRP. And it's not without problems. Like things can still break on these things. So being able to spend 40 bucks on a new board, if something goes wrong inside of it, is a whole lot nicer than buying a brand new Elite Series 2 controller for like $170, $190. I can't remember what the, the, the cost of the full version is. So if if you've got a little bit of, of handyman skills, <laughs> if you're able to, to fix fairly easy things on your own, then check out Microsoft's uh, own replacement part website to get the, the real deal and fix the controllers on your own. Now, if you are thinking, oh, does this mean that I can buy like the different colored shells, sort of like the Xbox Design Lab? No, no, you cannot. Uh, they only offer the black and the white. So that's it, at least for right now. <laughs> so check that out if you've got a controller that could use some loving. I didn't even know that they were repairable. They are now. That's cool. Yeah. Okay, Richard, it's been a couple of weeks. What has been going on inside of your entertainment center? Lots of good content. So what we do in the Shadow Season 5 is about halfway through right now. The last couple episodes have been absolutely hysterical. I mentioned that we were watching FUBAR, the Netflix show with Arnold Schwarzenegger. They're enjoying that. We finished the first season of Ghosts from the UK and are ready to start season two on that. Amazon Prime released the second season of Good Omens approximately four years after the first season. Wow. It's just crazy how long of a gap there was on this. I don't know why. Maybe they weren't thinking of doing it and then eventually they decided to do it. But this is, I'm finding it more complicated to follow. Well, maybe not more complicated to follow, but more complicated to understand why. Like, what's the point of what they're showing us in each scene? And it's coming together. I think we have two episodes left before we're finished the season. So I'm enjoying it. It's, I don't think, as straightforward fun as the first season was, but I'm enjoying it. Continued to watch some more of the Cabin Chronicle shorts that I talked about as part of the uh, discovery content that is on Max now. And Strange New Worlds had probably its most unusual episode yet last week. This week is actually the season finale. And no, I'm not talking about the crossover with Lower Decks, which in itself was pretty strange, but they did a musical episode. <laughs> what? And fans of Buffy the Vampire Slayer may recall that a very controversial episode of Buffy was a musical. And I had no idea. It had very it was it was largely well received and everything that i've heard from most people on this episode was that they enjoyed it i loved it i thought it was so funny so well done it, they give an explanation sort of for why it's a musical and even that is entertaining <laughs> it it's I I was dreading this. I just didn't know what to expect because this last season has started to feel a little bit too silly. And I like some humor in my Star Trek, but it was getting a little bit too cheeky. Mm. But I think they nailed it with this. I think they nailed it. And I made a reference on Mastodon that I don't know how many people will get necessarily, but I said that I think this will probably get some Emmy nominations. 
And I likened this. I, I basically said, this is their atomic Shakespeare. I don't know if anybody watched Moonlighting, but in its prime, they did an episode where the entire episode was basically a retelling of The Taming in the Shrew. And the whole episode was in iambic pentameter. <laughs> and they got a ton of Emmy um, nominations and one of you for that episode. I think this is that for it's just it so breaks the mold. And it was very clever. And the writing of the music of the songs and the lyrics was just brilliant. Like they're talking about the status of what's going on on a console or in the engineering department in song. It's just, it's wild. Anyway, thoroughly enjoyed it. I completed my Jack Ryan rewatch. And so now I am in season four, really liking that and disappointed that it's going to end because I, I think that they've done such a good job with this series, even though it is separate from the books and isn't based on any of the books, really. It nicely parallels what we know about the Jack Ryan timeline, and I think is a one of the better additions to that library of content, frankly. Are you still with this one, Josh? Um, I've not started the most recent season, so so this is officially the last season? Yep. yep. Aw, that's sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very disappointing. But I think that they're doing a great job with it. I finished the jury. I was very concerned about how they were going to end the jury. Remember, the jury is this thing where the premise is that it's a mockumentary about a courtroom and everybody in the court except for one juror was an actor. And obviously, they have to spring it on them at the end. <laughs> and I was just really worried that that would be terrible. And the way they handled it was just so great. And I, if, I, I know some other people that are watching this, and I, I hope that you give this a chance. It's an easy watch. It's four hours of your time. It's just so funny and so absurd. I highly recommend it. And then finally, for some quick half-hour shows, I got back to watching Courtship of Eddie's Father and The Bob Newhart Show. And that's pretty much it for me. Nothing else new right now. How about you, Josh? Well, Richard, the last time we talked, you had talked about maybe going to see the Barbie movie. I did, and I haven't seen it yet, and I'm so frustrated by that. You should be, because I did go and see it, and it's really good. <laughs> I, I don't doubt it. Yeah, my... Uh, we we were basically going to have like a split weekend with our girls. The my original plan was to go to a, a race car race with my oldest daughter. And so Jen made plans to go swimming and stuff with my youngest daughter, but Friday night rolled around and my oldest wasn't feeling great and didn't think going two hours away to a race car track would be a great way to spend her Saturday. So we didn't. And instead, she said, how about we go see the Barbie movie, which kind of surprised me because she already saw it once and rated it at a seven. Uh, but we went anyway, and I thought it was fantastic. Uh, I, I'm not going to say too much about it because, frankly, I didn't actually know much about the movie going into it. Yeah. And I think it was more enjoyable for that. So, um like the main message of the movie is one that I wholeheartedly support and have ha and have wholeheartedly supported for many, many, many years. Um, there will be many people who don't necessarily agree with it. They're mostly old, rich white guys, and huh, maybe they should go watch it and learn a thing or two. Uh, it's it's a really it's really good. It's really funny. Maybe the one thing worth pointing out because it is a movie that's based around a doll that small children play with is there's definitely so, a few situations of double entendre that like little kids aren't going to get, but adults are going to find hilarious. And there's also a couple of scenes where like, they do mention like the proper words for human anatomy. And if you're 
if you've not explained that to your children yet, then maybe that's something you want to prepare them for or something. I don't know. Like, it's not gross or anything like that. But if yeah. they've never heard some of those words before, maybe you want to prepare them for it ahead of time. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So it's good. It's you're you're gonna I, love this movie. <laughs> I still want to see this. They played parts of the video for I'm Just Ken on Good Morning America this week. And, I, and there's a scene I like I love how self-aware it is, right? There's a scene where he goes out to hit the waves, and let's just leave it at that. It's just yes. hysterical. <laughs> and you phrased it perfectly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really funny. Definitely check it out. So in terms of things actually going on, like in my house and stuff, I did have some equipment stuff that I needed to deal with. I had had being the keyword, like a 24 port TP link gigabit switch in my office. And it seemed like it had been giving me some issues. And so I had kind of just switched to like not using the switch and just moving the Ethernet cable between devices, which was annoying, but fine. And then we went away on vacation for like four days. And literally three hours after I left the house, I get a notification from my SmartThings hub that says, your SmartThings hub has been disconnected from the internet. And sure enough, everything in my house was down. I couldn't access my cameras anymore. None of that. And texted my my neighbors is the internet down in the neighborhood nope great it's just my house i have to work the day after i get home i hope this isn't that traumatic come home another switch in my house the one connected to the the modem and, and router died it was just like flashing lights and actually making an audible noise your switch not really supposed to make not noise supposed to do that no no it's not so I ended up having to replace two switches in my house to get everything back up and running. Uh, and then also took that as an opportunity to move my main Wi-Fi router because my daughter was telling me that the Wi-Fi signal in her bedroom wasn't great. I'm like, you could have told me this months ago. We've lived in this house for two years and this is just now coming across. So fixed all that stuff. Network seems to be running fantastic now. Uh, bought used switches from a listener of the show at a really great price so thank you joe for helping me out there and getting me the equipment in a hurry on the gaming side finally finally finished the campaign in diablo 4 uh last saturday the guys that i was playing with we got together started playing and it was like 11:30 or something like that and we had finished up like the second to last section of the game and we're like no, we're not going to bed. We're finishing this. <laughs> and we didn't go to bed until two o'clock in the morning, but it's done. <laughs> so uh, it was really great. Definitely uh, still absolutely love Diablo 4 and highly recommend it to anybody who hasn't played it yet. I also, a couple nights ago or last night, I don't know, time is weird, uh, did play another section of The Last of Us. So I'm slowly getting through, uh, nearing the end of that game. Something major happened there that I wasn't quite expecting. Um, answers some questions for me. And I don't know how I've made it this far in life without really having any actual spoilers to The Last of Us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I haven't. So it's it's been good. Get, hoping to finish that soon. And then uh, lastly, audiobooks and just books in general. Read Masters of Doom, written by David Kushner, uh, narrated. And this is why you should get the audiobook for this, narrated by Will Wheaton. And Will Wheaton does a fantastic job narrating this book. Now, what is the book? Masters of Doom is all about, it's essentially the biography of John Carmack and John Romero, the two guys that started id Software, the guys that made Doom and Wolfenstein 3D and Quake. And it's a real interesting story. Like those guys had uh, some interesting lives leading up to this. And then uh, especially once they started working together and just the story of the video game industry through the eighties and through the nineties. And it, it basic, the book ends, I think roughly 2001 ish. Um, it's, 
It's really interesting. It feels long, like it's a 13-hour audiobook, which feels long for a biography of people who are still alive. Like they've hopefully still got many decades of their lives left and it's 13 hours already. So check that out, partly because John Romero released his own book just within the last few weeks called Doom Guy. And want to listen to that too. It's not available from the library yet though. And I don't like paying for books. So I might be waiting. I might not because I heard that one's also really good. But if you're into the video game industry at all, check out Masters of Doom. It's a really, really interesting book. And Will Wheaton adds so much to the reading experience. His narration is amazing. I want every book that I read to be narrated by Will Wheaton from now on. So Yeah, he he's a good narrator. I have to speed him up a little bit because mm. he's a little bit and, you know, this comes from one, but he's a little bit of a slow talker. So I tend to read his books at like 1.4, I think. I don't know. You read books faster normally, don't yeah. you? I don't normally do that. I normally allow the narrator to stage the pace of things the way they want to. Hey, they still are. <laughs> sort of. I, like... The relative pace doesn't change. The overall pace just changes. It's it's totally fine. I'm not screwing it up. It's fine. 1.75x, okay. totally fine. Wow. <laughs> well, then you don't need to speed them up. So anyway, that's it for what's going on in my entertainment center. If you want to get a hold of us, well, I'm on Twitter sometimes at Josh Pollard. We're both on, in, uh, well, actually we are on Instagram, but we're on uh, Mastodon, uh, Richard Gunther and Josh Pollard over on Mastodon. I promise you the live show will return soon-ish. I think I've fixed the video problem, so this might be up on YouTube, so go and check out our YouTube channel and subscribe there. We'd appreciate that. And you'll be able to find all of these links in the show notes over at www.thedigitalmediazone.com. So that's going to do it for episode 625. He's Richard Gunther, and I'm Josh Pollard. Thanks for listening to Entertainment 2.0. Adios. Goodbye.